I have an amazing story to tell, and I hope that many will get to hear it. So if you find this, please share it with whoever you can. This story isn't one that has been handed down to me, but one that I was actually a part of, and a pretty important part too, if it's okay for me to say that. At this point, I think I need to let you know something that may come as a surprise, but I am a bird, a dove to be more precise. So prepare yourselves, as it's not every day you get to hear a story from a dove. For me and my mates, this story began on a day like many others we have had before. But as the day progressed, we noticed some pretty strange things going on around us. As we sat high in our tree, we were aware of lots of activity below us. Animals walking, all in the same direction, all walking in pairs. There they went, two by two. And not just a few animals, but loads of them. There were the animals of the land, the birds of the air, and all of those that creep along the ground. So we followed them, curious to find out where they were headed. It seems like we were flying for hours, not sure of where we would end up until the trees became fewer and fewer and we ended up standing in a clearing and there before us was this enormous boat, which we later found out was called an ark. This ark was really huge. It was made entirely of wood and it had three decks and many, many rooms. As we got nearer to the ark, we saw a man stood near to the door that was in the ark's side. He was stood watching as all the animals made their way onto the ark. As we watched what was happening, we noticed that for some of the animals, there was one pair of each kind, but for some other animals, there were seven pairs of each kind. But whether one pair or seven, they made their way on board. At this point, we still weren't sure of what was happening, but knew that this is where we needed to be too, as we made our way onto the ark. And we waited, and we waited. For seven days we waited, and nothing seemed to be happening, until we heard something fall onto the roof of the ark. It was a quiet noise, a drop of water landing. Then another, splat, and another, splat, and more and more until it turned into the pitter-patter of rain. But the gentle pitter-patter didn't last for long, and soon it was as if the windows of heaven were opened and rain fell with such force that you would struggle to imagine what it was like. As the rains fell, water also sprung up from the ground, and in what seemed like no time at all, the entire ground was covered in a layer of water. Still the rain fell, still the waters came, day after day, night after night. As the waters rose, the ground below disappeared. Everything was covered by the waters, except the ark, with all of those in it, which rose on the waters high above the earth. And then, as suddenly as the rain had began, it stopped. It had been raining for 40 days and 40 nights, and now everything was still. For a moment, everything was silent, not a sound to be heard. As we looked out, all that we could see was water, even the tops of the mountains now covered and hidden from our view. As the days passed, I began to learn about what we were involved in. Noah, the man who had watched us all enter the ark, and his family who were with him, spoke often about what had happened, and as they spoke, I listened. 
You see, before the waters came, the earth had been a bad place. Men and women did not behave well. They treated one another badly. They hurt each other. There was nothing good that they said, did, or thought. God, the creator, who having created the heavens and earth, the plants and the animals, man and woman, and had said that they were very good, now found himself sad and hurting in the very deepest parts of his heart. This is not how he had created things to be. And so the waters came to wash the bad away. But Noah was different to the rest of the people. He was a good man. That was clear to see in the way that he was with his family and with the animals on the ark. But he was more than just a good man. He knew God. He loved him and he lived his life the way that God wanted him to. So God had chosen Noah and his family and told Noah to build the ark to keep Noah, his family, and the animals safe when the waters came. And Noah did what God had told him to do. 150 days had passed since the rain had stopped when a huge wind came across the earth and the water level began to drop and the ark got lower and lower until with an almighty thud we came to rest on the side of a mountain. And here we waited until the water had gone and the ground had dried out. And this is where my important part in the story begins. Noah took me in his hand, walked me over to a window, and sent me out to search for land. He knew that if I did not return, it was because I had found somewhere to put my feet down, that the earth was ready and they could leave the ark. And so I went. I flew for hours and hours, desperate to find somewhere I could land. But no matter how much I searched, I could find nowhere to rest, and so I returned to Noah. He looked at me, smiled, and told me we would try again another day. And we did. Again, I left the ark with hopes high, and I looked below. And as I looked, I could see sheets of green dotted over the surface of the water. Leaves! These were the tops of the trees. The water was dropping lower and lower, but not quite enough for the others to leave the ark. I felt a fresh spring in my wings, and I swooped down to break off some leaves, so Noah and the others knew what was happening. Again, I returned to Noah, and this time his smile was a little bigger. Not long now, he whispered. Seven more days passed, and Noah sent me out. And this was the last time I saw him, as the waters had completely disappeared, and I spent what seemed like an entire morning swooping and diving, landing in trees, and also setting my feet on the now dry ground. We had been on the ark for 370 days. This new freedom was so sweet. In not returning to the ark, I knew that Noah would get my message and open that great door to enable his family, the, land of the, animal, the animals of the land, the birds of the air, and those animals that crept on the ground to make their way back onto the earth. As I sat, my mates back by my side, perched on the top of the highest tree I could find, I looked into the sky and saw the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Bright and striking colours reached up into the sky and bowed back towards the ground. I didn't know what it meant, but it was a wonder to behold, and I didn't take my eyes off it until it faded slowly, slowly, until it disappeared from view. I later found out that the rainbow I had seen was a sign from God of a promise he made to Noah, his family, and all living creatures that he would never again flood the earth. 
Now, whenever I see a rainbow, I can be sure that God keeps his promises. Children are going to be doing some activities, but at this point I just want to share some some thoughts really that I've had as we've been uh, going through the story of Noah. Now, um, from time to time, I like to try and find new TV programs, new series to follow. Uh, I found some really good ones. I found some pretty awful ones uh, as well that I didn't uh, invest too much time in. But if you're anything like me, I'm that sort of person that if, I, if there's a program I really like and if it's available on a box set or something like that, it really doesn't take me long to work my way through a series. And what I've found uh, is that in, in any TV series, in any TV show, in the very early episodes, what they're doing is they establish the characters. You get to know their personality, you get to know their nature, you get to know how they'll respond in different situations and in different scenarios. And what happens is that as they're established in the early episodes, as the series progresses, you you know what to expect from them. You know how they're going to react. You know how they're going to respond. You know what their behaviour is going to be like, but you know that because they've been established in the very first episodes. Now, with this series of, of God stories that we're looking at over the summer... We're looking at a number of the kind of the Old Testament stories, the stories that are really the, the bread and butter of Sunday schools and children's Bibles, but those stories that we don't want to leave there. We want to make sure uh, that we keep coming back to them and keep exploring them. These are absolutely amazing stories. But each of these stories is, is like a snapshot of a much bigger picture. So as these stories fit together, we get to see them in the context of this much bigger and much wider story, which is God's story. And these stories, they reveal and establish the nature and the character of God. Like the early episodes in a TV series, the early stories, particularly, um, particularly the early stories in the Old Testament, just establish that nature and character of God. And then these aspects of his nature and character are reinforced as the bigger story continues. So today... I know what God is like because it's been revealed to me and established in the Word. So I can stand here today knowing who God is because it's been revealed to me in the Word. This morning we've heard Noah's story, albeit from a different perspective to the one that we've maybe heard before. And there are two things really that stood out to me. There's an awful lot I could speak about on Noah. There's a lot we could take out of it, but there are two things in particular. And I want to call them kind of two firsts. So the first time something is revealed about God, aspects of God's nature and his character that have been established within the first nine chapters of the Bible, but they're things that we will see repeated throughout. So we see them for the first time here, but they're repeated throughout. The first is this, is that God remembers his people. Is this microphone feeding quite a bit? Shall I use the other one? Are we okay? We okay. So the first is this, is that God remembers his people. So in Genesis uh, chapter 7, at at this point where we're going to jump in, uh, it's been raining 40 days, it's been 40 nights, all that is left. So you've got water covering the entire earth, and then you've got the ark, with Noah, his family, and the animals that are on there. It's been 40 days, 40 nights, and then they've been there for 150 days, waiting What's going to happen next? Just waiting to see what God would do. So that's where we're picking up. So uh, actually chapter 7, verse 23 says, Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. 
and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. This is probably one of my favourite phrases in the Bible. As I've read through, and you see it a lot in the early stages of the Old Testament, the early stage of the Bible, this phrase or something similar comes through. But God remembered. We see it. But God remembered Noah. As I say, it's one of my favourite uh, kind of repeated phrases through the Bible. Maybe that's why it's something that stood out to me as I was, as I was reading through it again in preparation of this week. But I want us to think, what would it have been like to be on the ark at that point? What would it have been like to be Noah? You're the best part of 200 days into this momentous event that has happened. The rain has stopped and for 150 days you're waiting with no sign of anything, uh, with the waters dropping or anything like that. How would you have felt? Now we don't know whether he was hearing from God at this point. The story doesn't tell us that. Well, it doesn't tell us that. But imagine... Maybe at some point he felt forgotten. Okay, God, you've brought us to this place. You've kept us safe this far. But actually, what's going to happen from this point on? We haven't seen anything of no kind of change in 150 days. Have you forgotten about us out here? I want you to imagine what it might have been like. But God remembered Noah. God remembering, it doesn't mean that he's forgotten. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget either his people... He also doesn't forget his promises and the things that he's spoken. You see, when scripture says that God remembers someone, or God remembers a promise that he has made with someone, what it indicates is that he's about to take action for that person's welfare. But God remembered something significant is going to happen. Something is about to change. And this is the turning point in the whole story. God meets Noah... At this point, God meets Noah in his need, and this is the point that everything changes. So here we have what's being established here in the very early parts of Scripture is God remembering his people. God remembering his people, and it's repeated elsewhere. As I say, we kind of see it established here, and it's a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. Let me give you some examples. Genesis 19, God remembers Abraham. In saving his nephew Lot. It's that same phrasing again. Genesis 30. God remembers Rachel. Up until this point Rachel's been unable to have children. But God remembered Rachel. And she conceived a son. She conceived Joseph. (coughs) Exodus 2. God hears the cry of Israel. While they're in captivity in Egypt. And he remembers the covenants. That he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God remembered the covenants. And then what we see in the, next, in the very next chapter is God calling Moses to lead the people out of captivity. 1 Samuel 1.19, God remembered Hannah. Similar situation to, uh, to Rachel, not being able to conceive up until that point. But God remembered Hannah and she conceived Samuel. You see this pattern that's been established through scripture that God remembers his people. And when he remembers people, he acts to bring change Uh, change about. Do you know, feeling like you've been forgotten is a very, very painful thing. Have you ever experienced that? Thought of people just, either someone or a group of people just haven't remembered me. It's painful. It's a painful thing to do, uh, to go through. Whether it's true or not, 
at that point, it doesn't matter if you feel like that. It hurts. And in those examples I've given, we have individuals and nations at risk of feeling forgotten, of feeling alone, of feeling abandoned, of not being heard. Yet God has not forgotten them. He remembers them. He knows their situations. He knows their struggles, their desires, their longings, the amount of patience that they've shown. And though time passes and though troubles come, God has not forgotten them. Man may have forgotten them. They may have felt forgotten. But God has remembered them. So for Noah, like I say, looking out of the ark, looking as far as the eye could see, all he would have been able to see was water everywhere. And it had been like this best part of 200 days, nearly 200 days, seeing nothing but water, not knowing when things were going to change, possibly feeling forgotten, wondering when something was going to happen. But God remembered Noah. And then everything changes from that point. In the last series that we were doing, uh, our Exile series, we were looking at the book of 1 Peter. The last, in the last um, session we were looking at that, there was a verse, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And the context that Peter was writing into was into uh, a time of trial and time of suffering for Christians and for the church. And what Peter's saying is, humble yourselves, because at the right time, God is going to bring about some action. He's going to bring about some change. And everything is going to be different. See, here's the thing. If we know the bigger picture, if we bring these God stories together, we read the promise in 1 Peter that I just read. We read that promise with the knowledge of God's character and God's nature having already been established through Scripture. This wasn't just something that Peter's, Peter's plucked out of the air. It's based upon who he knows God to be. Because God has shown it time and time again throughout history and throughout his story. So we can read that verse in 1 Peter 5, knowing that in all circumstances, God does not forget us. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of feeling alone, God does not forget us. We are remembered and God takes action for our welfare. So I think for me, that's the first thing that came out as I was reading the story of Noah. The second is this, is that God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. That second part is significant. There's no point being a good promise maker if you're not going to be a good promise keeper. But God is both. So in Genesis 9, from verse 7, so once Noah, his family, and the animals are off the ark, God says this to them. He says, you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So the very first part of what God says, we have echoes there of Genesis 1 verse 28. So when God has created man and woman, very first man and woman, he gives them, uh, he gives them a blessing, he blesses them and he gives them a commission. Be fruitful and multiply and go and fill the earth. This is exactly the same blessing that he gives to Noah. It's like this is a new start, this is a fresh start. So I'm going to give you the same blessing and the same commission that I gave at the, at the very beginning of creation. Be fruitful and multiply and go and fill the earth. So we've got a blessing, but this blessing is accompanied by the very first covenant. This is the very first promise that God establishes. And this promise, this covenant, is that God will never again flood the earth. The promise is very broad. It's very far-reaching in the sense that it covers not only Noah, not only Noah's family, but all living things. This is a promise God has made to every living thing. It is also, and this, I cannot stress this enough, it is also totally one-sided, this promise that God makes. Totally, totally one-sided. Andrew Wilson, he wrote a book called God Stories. Um, and in there, he, he picks up on this story of Noah. And he says that the rainbow covenant is one of grace and is completely one-sided. God covenants never again to destroy humankind for our wickedness. But this is grounded not in our commitment to be righteous, but in his commitment to be gracious. So it's nothing to do about how well mankind would do from this point. It's entirely on the, about the grace and mercy of God. He says, in fact, in fact, God knew that man would continue to be wicked and he made the covenant anyway. It's totally one-sided. All about God's grace. Not about our response. Not about our righteousness. For those of you who were here last week, Pete, during worship, encouraged us to pray out things that we were thankful for, things that we could give praise for. Did anyone hear Mike's? Mike said, thank you, God, that you've promised that you will never flood the earth again. Now, I don't know whether Mike said that because he had in mind what was coming up this week. But I thought about this, and I thought, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone thank God for that before. It almost seemed like a bit of a, a strange thing to give thanks for. But the more I've thought about it, the, the more I'm convinced, actually, this is something we should give thanks to God for very often, very frequently. God has promised that he will never again flood the earth. He will never again do with humanity as he did before. Let's not think that mankind is doing better now, which is why we've not seen anything like this since. It doesn't take long to look through the news and realise that humanity is not doing well. If you look in the news, we see violence, slander, mockery, unforgiveness, selfishness, betrayal, terror, fear. Could go on and on. So let's not think that humankind is doing better now than it was. Let's also not think that God's stance on sin has changed, that he's somehow become more lenient than he has been in the past. No, it's God in his grace has promised never again to flood the earth. Totally one-sided, totally an act of God, totally a promise of God, not about anything 
No requirement on our part. It's totally God's promise to us. I think I've been challenged by what Mike prayed last week. I think that this is something that we should give thanks for and we should give thanks for it often. Thank you, God, that you've promised that you will never again flood the earth. So God makes promises and God keeps promises because God is faithful. To be faithful means, or part of being faithful means to be true to one's words. So essentially, if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. That's what being faithful is. At the beginning of the year with some of the, the youth, we um, set spiritual goals for the coming year. Things we were hoping to grow in, things we were hoping to achieve by the year end. And one of the aspects was looking at a part of our character that we wanted to grow. And for me, faithfulness was, was the thing I wanted to grow in. I wanted to be someone that if I said I was going to do something, then that, I would do it. And part of that was looking at putting, even putting systems in place. So if I say I'm going to do something, I, writing it down and making sure that I actually act on it. That's part of how I was looking to grow and to develop in it. But this faithfulness, I need to grow in it. All of us need to grow in it. But it is not something that God needs to grow in or develop. Deuteronomy 15 verse 6 says, For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. Romans 4, 20 to 21, speaking about Abraham, says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Hebrews 10, 23 let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I could have gone on with many, many more. If you were to look up the words promise, promised, promises, or faithful, faithfulness, any other variants of that, and look them up in a concordance, you will find they are scattered throughout the whole of the Bible from beginning to end. God's promises and God's faithfulness are just scattered everywhere. He is faithful. He is a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. For 4,000 years and counting, God has kept the promise that he, made to, that he made to Noah. And he gave the rainbow as a sign. Now, I was um, reminded quite recently, someone was talking about wedding rings. And it kind of was a bit of a light bulb moment for me, and I'm not quite sure why. But they were saying that wedding rings, when you, when you give a wedding ring... Uh, it's, it's a symbol of the promises that you're making to someone. So it's not, people don't wear wedding rings just as a, I'm unattached, I'm off the market. That's not what it's for. And it's also not, when I look down at my wedding ring, this shouldn't be uh, about the promises that I have made to Steph. Actually, the ring that I gave to Steph is a symbol of the promises that I made to her. So when I see the ring that Steph has got on her finger, it should remind me of the promises that I've made to her about the covenant promise that I have made. The rainbow is a sign, Scripture says the rainbow is a sign to remind God of the promise that he made to Noah and that he made to all living flesh. To quote Andrew Wilson again, he says, of course, in a literal sense, God never forgets. But the rainbow brings his promises to mind and whenever he sees it, there is a divine recommitment to never again destroy the earth. Isn't that wonderful? Whenever there's a rainbow in the sky, there's a divine recommitment from God to never again destroy the earth. Because he said he wouldn't. Because he made a covenant. Can we have the band come back up? Just while you're getting yourselves 
ready band. I just want to to share one more thing that really struck me. You know, when God makes a, a covenant with a group of people, he does it through one person that represents. So he makes a covenant with one person as a representative for a, a wider group of people. So everyone else, they experience the promise by being included in the representative. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a promise with Abraham, which is for Abraham and all of his offspring. Okay, but it's through Abraham. He makes a covenant with, with Moses, but it's for the people of Israel. So it's those who are in Moses. He makes a covenant with David for those who are in David's family line. With David for his family line. And he also makes a covenant with Jesus for all of those who are found in him. This is just where I want to draw our attention to as we come back to worship. See, in Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 1 says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law of sin and death. And then if we jump down to verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of, of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In the story of Noah that we've just reflected on again this morning, the world stood condemned. The world stood totally condemned. And it paid the price for it. But in God's mercy, he saved Noah, he saved his family, and he saved those animals that were on the ark. You see, God, and then God, through grace, established a covenant that he would never again flood the earth. And he set the rainbow in the sky as a sign of the promise that he had made. In Christ, there is no condemnation for those who stood guilty before God. In his grace, he has made a way for us to be saved. For those who are in Christ, covenant with Christ, for those who are in Christ, through him we are saved. And it's the Holy Spirit in us who is our guarantee who is our sign of salvation of that new covenant. It's the Holy Spirit who is that seal, that guarantee of, of that promise that has been given to us. So just as God established this promise at the very beginning, within the first nine chapters of the entire Bible, God establishes himself as a promise maker. And we are here this morning because of the goodness of his fulfillment of the promise that he made through Jesus. And just as he set the rainbow in the sky as a promise that he would never flood the earth again, we have the Holy Spirit in us as a seal, a guarantee, a sign of the promise that we have through Jesus Christ. Isn't that something that we can come and give praise and thanksgiving for? So shall we stand, if that's okay? Let's get ourselves prepared. Let's get ourselves ready to come and worship.